This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, midweek Wednesday afternoon, September 20th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rob Hart. Headlines involving large retailers seem to signal major hiring for the holidays, but that, that may not necessarily be the case. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, the Federal Reserve is expected to hold the line on interest rates when it releases its latest policy statement next hour. Joining us now on the Village of Bedford Park business line, reminding you to bring your business home is Diane Swank, Chief Economist with KPMG in Chicago. Diane, thank you for joining us today. And can you describe for us the Fed's balancing act as they go into this meeting? Well, what it is, is they're looking at an economy where we've seen inflation decelerate, but it's still too high. And of course, the level of prices out there are still way too high for many consumers. And so they're going to pause with the clause. And that is, you know, we'll pause, but leave the option on the table to hike rates again, if necessary, especially given what we've seen in the pipeline and things like energy prices moving back up quite dramatically again and the fear that there could be spiller over that to everything from delivery costs and online shopping during the holiday season. That said, I think it's important to understand we're near a peak in rates, but then we're pivoting to what the Fed and many other central banks have talked about, and that's higher for longer, holding these rates higher. The hope is that as rates remain at a peak level and inflation begins to come down, that that will continue to tighten credit conditions and hopefully allow inflation to continue to decelerate more rapidly than wages are decelerating. We need to regain some ground in terms of living standards, and we've only just begun to do that. We're talking to Diane Swank, Chief Economist, KPMG in Chicago. From the standpoint of Jay Powell, from the standpoint of strategy and credibility, it seems like you'd rather go up there and say this afternoon you're leaving open the possibility of hiking interest rates again in November and then not doing it as opposed to saying, okay, we're done, and then saying, well, it turns out circumstances have changed. Exactly. And there's more than one reason for that. Not only do you want to not get caught with, you know, eating crow as they already have because they were late on the uptake on raising rates. They also um, have been fooled more than once and inflation has reaccelerated. But most importantly, the irony of all this is the more they are hawkish on this pause, the more the bond market will do the heavy lifting for the Fed. And we've seen bond yields move up quite dramatically. And that actually alleviates um, a 
alleviates the need for the Fed to keep raising rates as dramatically because then some of the heavy lifting is done with a broader tightening of credit conditions in the bond market, not just by the Federal Reserve, which hits most directly the banking sector, which is only a third of total credit in the United States. Right. We're talking about the federal funds rate is about uh, 5%, give or take, right now. But uh, if you try to get a mortgage or you look at the prime rate, that's 7 or 8%, and that's the bond market doing its thing. Exactly. And not only the bond market doing its thing, but the Fed also reducing its balance sheet and it's no longer buying those mortgage-backed securities, which has increased what we call the spread, the difference between the 10-year Treasury bond rate and a mortgage rate. And that's why we have above 7% mortgage rates now, which is a tipping point where a lot of people can't afford to actually qualify for a mortgage anymore. Diane Swank, Chief Economist, KPMG in Chicago. This is the W. WBBM Noon Business Hour. Announcement this w- announcements this week by Amazon and Target heralded hundreds of thousands of seasonal jobs. However, there are some questions about overall hiring this year. Let's check in with Michelle Reisdorf, Chicago jobs expert with Robert Half in Chicago. Michelle, thank you for joining us today. It, we, you know, it's kind of funny to start thinking about the holiday season, especially in mid to late September when the temperature is expected to top 80 degrees today. But uh, the bottom line is, Michelle, it sounds like uh, if you want to get one of those seasonal holiday jobs, you should probably jump on that right now. Yes, absolutely. You know, demand in the uh, candidate market is still very tight. And if you are an employer looking for seasonal help, you want to get ahead of the game and everybody else um, to make sure you secure that talent and that availability today. Last year, retailers added 509,000 temporary jobs for the holiday season. That's down from 701,000 in 2021. Where are the trends going in, 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 in 23? Well, you know, I think some of that shift may just be from, you know, more people shopping online and we're seeing those numbers boosted in the Amazon space. But, you know, what I can tell you as far as us and professional services most of the companies that we're working with are actually looking to plant to hire a few more contract workers than they have in the past, you know, where they're being a little bit more cautious about permanent hiring right now. They still have important year end work that needs to get done and they're going to have to bring in contract talent to help get that done. So, um, you know, I don't necessarily see it greatly reducing, but maybe just shifting in different pockets. We're talking to Michelle Reisdorf of Robert Half in Chicago. What does the holiday temporary hiring workforce look like? Is it usually a pretty consistent uh, uh, class of candidates? It's just people who show up every December and do the same thing because they like the extra spending money? Or is there constant fluctuation in and out? No, it definitely is a pretty consistent mix. You know, there are Um, lots of employees that just simply love seasonal contract work and they may do so, you know, in the retail market, they may do so in, you know, tax help, they may do so in, um, you know, all kinds of avenues. And, you know, I think you'll see it's consistent across, you know, different skill sets, different age groups, different tenures of, you know, work that wants to get done. So it's pretty consistent always from year to year. And of course, there are some uh, entities that do engage in seasonal hiring that have not posted or have not made their pl- announced their plans for seasonal hiring just yet. Uh, one of the biggies, of course, is uh, UPS, where I did some holiday help uh, many, many years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah, um, I definitely, all year long, what we've seen is companies just being cautious 
and maybe a little slower with their hiring or their plans, they're definitely still hiring. Um, but they think about it that much more than they have in years past. And so, you know, I think what we all have to be careful of is that demand, once it gets released, a lot of those workers may be gone. So, you know, I think as companies start to look at their hiring needs for the back half of the year, they got to be ready to pull the trigger and also anticipate that, you know, the market may even be tighter for talent available. And I'll tell you this, uh, it was a long time ago working at UPS, but uh, I aced my box stacking exam during the training <laughs> process. And uh, as a result, uh, I still have uh, considerable car packing skills. So uh, you, you, can, you can take things home uh, beyond a temporary paycheck. There you go. Lifelong skills. Michelle Reisdorf, Chicago jobs expert with Robert Half. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next, Walmart makes a move into pet care. It's 60 minutes of financial planning. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Walmart is opening its first pet services center at a store in suburban Atlanta. Let's discuss the strategy with Jan Rogers Niffen, CEO of J. Rogers Niffen Worldwide, based in New York. Jan, thank you for joining us today. And uh, once again, this is another uh, step in Walmart's effort, it seems, to be the everything-for-everyone location. Well, once you're as big as Walmart, it's hard to get growth, and you probably see they're growing pretty well. They're growing about 6% the last time in store-for-store sales, and that was a huge number considering the size of the company. And now they're going, well, what else can we do for this customer? And pets were the fastest-growing thing during the COVID epidemic, as you probably already know. Two-thirds of all the families in America now have a pet. There was a lot lower number before COVID. And once you get them, they're like kids. You keep spinning on them for the next 10 or 20 years, if you're lucky. And Walmart knows that. And they're looking at it going, people will put themselves out to buy for an animal, and they'll take care of them, and we can provide those services, and we can probably provide it cheaper than anybody else because we're cheaper than anybody else on everything. Above and beyond pet food and pet supplies and toys and, and things like that, uh, it's going to provide some uh, veterinary services as well. Well, yeah, they're going to go into veterinary services. But what happens when you're there for veterinary services? You come in and buy all that other stuff you want. And if it come, becomes your place for vet care, it's also your place for all the other things that dog needs, like beds and collars and leashes and <laughs> the whole works. So, you know, they want to become your place for everything you're going to do for your pet. And I think that makes great sense. And then it'll also be a profit center because, you know, Walmart's really good at turning everything they do into a profit center. We're talking to Jan Rogers Niffen, CEO of J. Rogers Niffen Worldwide in New York. The uh, pet services centers uh, will carry the Walmart name. They will be inside Walmart stores, but the employees will be of a separate company called Pet IQ. And even though there's a pilot program underway in Atlanta, it is rented space for vet clinics inside more than 65 stores. So this isn't tested out to see how it works. This is tested out to fine tune it because it's going to other stores. Yeah, you got it. And they've even agreed or decided to put in a separate entrance for these places. But even doing that, they're still going to feed that store. But more than that, they're going to get you to make another trip and they're going to get you to feel good about coming to Walmart. And they can therefore grow that customer base because we're talking about this over the next 10 years being a $300 billion business. That's a huge chunk of money. And Walmart can be a dominant player in anything they do. I remember when they hardly sold any groceries. And then in 
19, I guess it was 88, they took off and now they're the largest grocery seller in the country and, you know, 58% of their stores groceries. Can they do the same thing in pet food, pet supplies, pet care? They can. They have 4,500 locations. They can do this every place they want to. They can be close to you and they can give you a better deal than anybody else and still make money. And I'm sure that's where this is going to go. So this makes great sense to me. If you're Walmart, I want to provide your people health care. I want to provide your animal health care. And I want to sell you everything you need, especially on a non-discretionary basis and a lot of discretionary things. Jan Rogers Niffin, CEO, J. Rogers Niffin Worldwide, based in New York. Thank you for joining us today. Still ahead in Personal Finance Wednesday, building a solid retirement account by starting early. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. Four robberies in 15 minute crime wave targets victims in adjacent Chicago neighborhoods. U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland says he runs a non political department and he isn't impacted by pressure from lawmakers or the president. It's Personal Finance Wednesday. The time is now for younger workers to start building a retirement fund and artificial intelligence tools are making their way into more and more workplaces. WBBM Business, the markets are mixed. The Dow is up 217 points. The NASDAQ is down 13. S&P 500 up 9. We have 76 degrees right now in Chicago, going up to a sunny 80. It's 1231, topping our news at the half hour. Police are investigating a series of four armed robberies over a very short time span on Chicago's northwest side last night. The details from WBBM's Nancy Hardy. A gray sedan was listed as the getaway car in three of the four armed robberies in the Shakespeare district. Police say between 925 and 940, robbers struck in Wicker Park, Logan Square and Humboldt Park. The first victim was a 60-year-old man standing in a parking lot, then a 66-year-old woman getting out of her car. Police say Next, two gunmen tried to rob a 25-year-old woman and a 26-year-old man in front of a home near Hirsch and Rockwell, but they ran away. Police say a 41-year-old man unloading groceries was held up next. The robbers took phones, wallets, and a purse. The older woman was taken to the hospital in good condition. No one else was hurt. Nancy Hardy, News Radio 105.9 WBBM. Attorney General Merrick Garland has told a Republican-controlled U.S. House of Representatives committee that he runs a department that's free of politics. The response comes as he testifies before a panel wanting answers on investigations into President Biden's son Hunter and the impending cases against former President Trump. Our job is not to take orders from the president, from Congress, or from anyone else about who or what to criminally investigate.
Some House Republicans accuse Garland of weaponizing the Justice Department. It's 12.32 as the noon business hour continues, and markets are mixed today. And joining us on the Village of Bedford Park business line, reminding you to bring your business home, is Ryan Dietrich, Chief Market Strategist with the Carson Group in Omaha, Nebraska. Ryan, thank you for joining us today. It's Fed Day, Ryan, and uh, there isn't going to be much in the way of surprises today, but uh, there's going to be a lot of parsing of tone, it sounds like. Uh, You're right, Rob. Thanks for having me back. And again, it is widely expected that there'll be no rate hike after 11 consecutive rate hikes here. Big question, though, is during the Q&A, right? And again, what is the Fed have to say about the future? We're optimistic that they're going to start to open the door, that inflation is coming back. Shelter prices are coming back. Used car prices are coming back. Yes, energy prices are higher. But overall, inflation is not the problem that it was. We think the Fed's going to crack the door. You're telling me there's a chance that they might officially be done hiking rates during this cycle. It sounds like it's it's a very delicate balancing act for the Fed right now, and it's it it it, it, it if I had a dime for every time I said the Fed has a a delicate balancing act, uh, I could put it in a very uh, nice retirement fund. But the, uh, the 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 situation here is yes, inflation is going down, the economy is slowing down, they're still far away from their two percent target. So, uh, do they have the ability to be nimble? if the economy starts to slow down in an appreciable way? Well, we think they do. I mean, let's be clear, if the economy really started to slow down and inflation started to also track down, they could cut rates. We don't think we're anywhere close to that. We think the Fed's going to keep things where they are. And we think it's all about normalization, right? Yes, we're not growing as fast as we were last year. Last year, we were making like 400,000, 500,000 jobs a month. Now we're closer to 100,000, 200,000 jobs a month. What's that mean? Sure, it's less than last year, but it's actually more normal, right? I mean, I think it's important people to realize. I'll be clear, we think it's going to be really hard to get back down to 2%. We think more like 3% inflation. It's probably where we're going to go. That was um, abnormal. That decade we saw 2%. I know the Fed is still sticking to it, but I think internally they realize after COVID, after kind of the restart, we might be just in a little bit higher inflation world. But, hey, long term, you know, three and a half inflation, three and a half percent inflation is actually the long term average going back well over 100 years. We're talking to Ryan Dietrich, chief market strategist with the Carson Group in Omaha. You know, markets are uh, higher, especially the Dow today, yeah. uh, leading into the, uh, the, the the Fed policy meeting. Uh, what is driving trading today? Yeah, not a lot. I mean, the short answer, volume is very light. We're just kind of, everyone's kind of biding time. Some of the more defensive areas are leading a little bit, like you said, in the Dow. But I'll tell you, investors need to know this. September is usually not that great of a month. August, usually not that great of a month. That's playing in, right? We just had the best first six months of the year ever for the NASDAQ and best first seven months for the S&P since 97. What does that tell investors listening? Some choppiness, some time to digest those gains is perfectly, perfectly normal. Once we get to the other side of likely the Fed uh, saying, you know, we're done hiking here and the economy's still growing above trend, we expect a pretty solid fourth quarter for investors here. We can pretty much predict what Jay Powell is going to say about a half hour from now, that they're probably going to, uh, they're definitely pausing uh, on interest rate hikes uh, at this policy meeting, but they do reserve the right to do it again in November. That is not going to be a surprise. But what are, what will you look for? I talked about how uh, there's going to be a lot Mm -hmm. of uh, tone parsing, uh, and that's going to be uh, really driving the markets this way and that uh, for the rest of the session. Uh, So what are you looking for, uh, not in terms of message, but how that message right. is delivered. Yeah, Rob, it's almost like you wrote a script for him there. That was nicely done. I mean, you kind of do know what we do know what he's going to say. But I'll tell you, so I don't want to get too over the top with this, but there's something called the dot plots. It's going to come out also that says what all the different Fed members see. 
keep this simple. We've been seeing dot plots increase, meaning more rate hikes coming. So what do the dot plots tell us? What's the Fed really think about the future of interest rates? That's going to be um, appealing. It could be the first time we haven't seen dot plots increase in a long time. So that's what we're looking for also. And then during the Q&A, believe me, we all slice and dice things very closely during that Q&A period. But I think, again, everyone's sniffing out. Is the Fed going to say the economy can stand on two feet um, amongst all these rate hikes that are there? But now the Fed can kind of take the training wheels off and stop hiking so much, let the economy go on its own. And we think that's um, going to be taken pretty positively, to be honest, if that's uh, how things are played out here. Ryan Dietrich, Chief Market Strategist with the Carson Group in Omaha, Nebraska. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next in Personal Finance Wednesday, making sure you make the most of an employer match for your 401k retirement account. Money Talks as the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Personal Finance Wednesday, and it's never too soon to start building a retirement fund, including if you're a worker in your 20s. Let's get some help from Carolyn McClanahan, founder of Life Planning Partners in Jacksonville. Carolyn, Thank you for joining us today, and welcome to the program. And uh, it's it's the fall of 2023, so chances are there are millions of uh, college graduates who uh, walked across the stage last May who are now in their first full-time, big-boy, big-girl jobs that have benefits, including a retirement plan. And maybe at the age of 22, when they say, do you want to put away X amount of money for your retirement? You think, well, I can wait a little bit and I could spend that money on something fun this weekend. But, uh, Carolyn, that adds up over time. Oh, goodness, yes. And it, it makes my heart sing to hear you talk about them getting those new jobs and making a living and now getting to participate in their 401K. And, you know, the biggest mistake a lot of people make is not putting money in their 401K because most employers give a match and you're giving away free money if you don't take that match. And really, that is something that uh, you have to say over and over and over again, because in any other situation in life, when somebody comes up to you and says, would you like free money? You say, yes, of course I would. Uh, but in this situation, when it comes to a 401k match, it's, it's, it's the rare instance in which an entity says, would you like free money? And someone says no. Right. And I think that part of the problem is they don't see that money benefiting them in the present. And the problem is, is when you're young, starting out at 22 and you get that free money, there's the beauty of compounding. That little bit of money that you put away that makes your employer also match it can grow into a huge sum of money by the time you're ready to quit working in the future. We're talking to Carolyn McClanahan, founder of Life Planning Partners in Jacksonville. And uh, not only that, when it comes to uh, just talking about uh, uh, saving for retirement and then it's there for you when you do actually retire 45 or 50 years down the road. Uh, the other thing is that uh, money that you have right now is going to lose value just thanks to inflation. It's a lesson we've all learned kind of the hard way in the past 18 months or so. So it's, it behooves you to put it away just so it can grow at a rate ahead of inflation. Right. I mean, part of the thing about a 401k is you get a lot of investment options. And some of those 401ks will default you to cash, and that is a big mistake. Do not keep it in a cash account. You want to invest it in things that have opportunity for growth. And if it's going to sit there 30, 40 years, just, don't, just put it in like – 
index funds, the S&P 500 or um, international index funds, put it in a mix of low-cost passive funds. And over time, if the world does like it's supposed to, it would grow into a significant amount of money that would ideally beat any inflation risk out there. Now, if you're looking through your uh, company's 401k plan options and there's, you know, if you have Vanguard, for example, they have the the target year retirement funds, which is always seems, I mean, do you think that's a good place to start? I think it's a great place to start. And the reason why is when you're just starting out, you don't have a lot of money to diversify appropriately. So, and by diversification, diversification, we mean like a certain amount in international funds, small companies, large companies, a little bit of bonds. And a target date fund does that automatically for you. Once you get a lot more money, you can get a little bit more sophisticated and pick individual index funds. But to start out, a target date fund is just fine. And then when you're in your 20s, you always have the option. Do you want the uh, the more conservative plan or the riskier plan that has more growth? Um, which one should you go for? Or does that just really uh, depend on your personal preference? Well, you know, some people are just so risk adverse, especially if they've seen other people lose money in the market. And I try to tell those people, yeah, at least tiptoe in. And I mean, if you're in your 20s and you're looking at a 401k, you can't take that money out until you're 59 and a half without penalty anyway. So take at least some risk. And then hopefully, as you get more used to it, you can up that risk. Because if you have greater than, you know, a 10, 20 year time frame, you need to be comfortable in your 401k taking more risk. So, you know, just just hold your breath. Don't look at it all the time. And before you know it, you're going to have a, a significant amount of money if the world does like it's supposed to. Carolyn McClanahan, founder of Life Planning Partners in Jacksonville, Florida. Thank you for joining us today. Join us at this time tomorrow for Technology Thursday. And still to come, AI could be impacting your job sooner than you think. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Artificial intelligence assistance is being deployed in a variety of businesses, and the use is growing on a daily basis. Let's get the latest from Ina Freed, chief technology correspondent covering AI for the news site Axios.com in San Francisco. Ina, thank you for joining us today. And and based on the uh, interoffice email I received this week, it seems like the way in which AI is already impacting the average worker experience is that you have to take an AI training module now (laughs) i think there's going to be a lot i think it's going to change most jobs considerably i think it won't destroy tons of jobs necessarily but it will fundamentally change a lot of them and there will be industries that face job pressure including our own including journalism which i wrote about today i had a piece on how AI should and shouldn't be used in journalism, given what the tech is good at today. Before we talk about kind of the dystopian scenarios, uh, let's talk about the ways in which uh, AI assistants, which are being deployed in a number of large corporations, can benefit you and make you more productive. Definitely. And I think this is a real area of opportunity. What it mostly does to kind of boil it down is that it allows everyone to make much better use of all the data that lives inside a company, but that most people wouldn't know how to access. There's this expensive software called business intelligence that you could use to query data. But this just lets you ask questions like, who's the best person at the company to talk to about this? Or what's our policy on that? AI is really good at that. 
And then uh, talking about uh, how it can be deployed in uh, journalism and in media, of course, there's all this fear about uh, AI writing stories or that the AI news anchor is going to be replaced by the AI news anchor one day. But one way in which I think it can be really beneficial is that, uh, once again, going back to that, uh, that going through all of that data and that it can be AI can make uh, investigative reporters uh, that much more effective when you have to go through all those documents you uh, acquired via the Freedom of Information Act. Definitely. An example that I would use is, let's say you wanted to talk about a politician's shifting uh, views on Ukraine. You know, you or I might be able to go back and listen to a dozen speeches they gave. AI could take everything they've ever said in transcripts, in video recordings, and try chase that over time. So I do think There are some really good uses, but I do think it's going to put pressure on our industry, which already faces a lot of business challenges, as well as the misinformation problem that's going to make each of our jobs harder as well. And then in terms of removing layers of bureaucracy in a corporation, I mean, obviously, once AI is deployed, there's going to be a lot of functions that may be redundant, and there's going to be a great deal of restructuring, it sounds like, going forward once it really takes hold in the workplace. I think a lot of companies are looking at what does AI let them do? And certainly one thing that CEO types are always looking for is what could we do with fewer people? But again, I think the companies that will be most successful will be ones that can expand what they do today using AI. It doesn't mean they won't also find efficiency gains. But the real thing is what can AI allow us to do that we weren't able to do before? Ina Freed, Chief Technology Correspondent covering AI for the news site Axios.com, based in San Francisco. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.